the distinctive uh, Jesus community. And we're talking about this area of mission, that we're going to be this year focusing on our call to mission, that we're, we want to bring this living hope of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs him. And it's not a matter of just starting new ministries, but rather we're going to be coordinating and moving our ministries towards this mission. In our worship service, basically what we're going to be doing is in our worship service in the month of October, we'll be having our global outreach emphasis month where our church is going to be focusing on the global aspect of mission. And then throughout the rest of the year, all the way to August of 2020, we are planning to have several sermon series that focus on topics that reach out to the community. And so be praying because what we're hoping to do to commit to really say that that our worship services from from now on, or actually after the uh, global outreach, are really going to be focused on bringing people to Jesus Christ as Savior, that there will always be some element of the gospel, and actually even the sermons themselves, the series, will be focused on things that that reach our community. For example, things like, who is Jesus Christ? How do we get to know Jesus Christ better? What are some aspects of his life that are very important? What are, uh, another series we'll be talking about, you know, reasons for faith and things like that. So we want to encourage you to be thinking and praying and saying that this is the year starting uh, in um, October all the way through August to be praying and thinking about bringing friends to church in order to hear the gospel, in order to hear God's word uh, moving into their lives. And so that's one area that we really do want to uh, be focusing on, praying for our friends, bringing them to church. Another area is the missional community groups. We're going to be continuing our ministry to single mothers through Emerge. We really want to boost up this ministry of mustard seed and I, I keep bringing that up, but, but mustard seed is so important because it involves really kind of a boots on the ground training in sharing your faith. That it's not just uh, techniques or whatever, but it's actually going out and sharing the gospel with people in the community. I'm reminded, I was reminded in uh, my class uh, that, that in order to, you know, to share the gospel effectively, you can't just have my way of doing evangelism without first being trained in a way of doing evangelism. See, a lot of times what people uh, do is they're kind of critical of prescribed methods of evangelism. And we say, well, I want to do evangelism my way, uh, the way that works in my situation. And, and I don't want to just use some kind of canned, kind of a formulaic way of sharing the gospel. And, you know, actually that's absolutely correct. If you're going to be effective in evangelism, you need to develop you need to develop your personal distinct way of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before you can have your own personal distinct way of evangelism, you must first have training in an effective model of evangelism. We must be first competent in a method, and that's when, you, when you're competent in that method, then you can modify it to your own style and to your own strengths. Without training, without a base of a method of evangelism, then our method, or whatever we think is our method, will continue to be weak and ineffective. Um, when I was in college, I was trained in a method called evangelism explosion. That was big back then. And evangelism explosion actually required you to memorize several pages of dialogue. That, that, that by the time the quarter was over, we had to memorize like about I think it was like eight to 10 pages of literally 
dialogue on how to share the gospel. And at the end of the quarter, we would go out, I mean, every week we'd go out and we'd practice this dialogue with the different students, you know, different people on campus. And, uh, and we'd have to, the goal was to make this dialogue so, so good, so memorized that, 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 that it would be natural, a natural part of our conversation. Now, you may ask me right now, do I still use this dialogue in presenting the gospel to other people? I would say no. You say, do you remember all the lines that you've memorized? No, I don't remember. By this time, I have developed and modified it to a point where I have my own way of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But the ideas and the elements uh, that I, lear- I still learn from from evangelism explosion from campus crusade the four spiritual laws from the navigators the bridge to salvation from the things that we learned in mustard seed these all of these methods have come together and and contributed to forming kind of my own personal style if you want to say of evangelism and so before we say well i don't like that style or i don't like this style or it's too artificial we still need to say well yes we may be skeptical of a method But remember, in order to have your way and your style, which God has given you specifically, you still need to learn a method and learn that method well and use that method well. And God can use that to begin to build and improve and and, and build your specific way in which you're going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever God has brought into your life. So again, we're not just increasing activities and adding more stuff. Instead, we're moving our present ministries on this deliberate course and this call towards mission from this year starting September all the way to next September. So be praying because I really believe that God is going to be calling you in one of these ways. Perhaps God is calling some of your non-Christian friends and family right now. That, that they're going to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior by, by you bringing them to service, by you bringing them to community group, by you learning these methods or, or becoming bolder in your ability to share the gospel. And, and, and we're going to really make this an, an integral part of, of living hope in this year. And we're going to, every single one of us, really grow in our ability to share the gospel, uh, to be a part of this mission uh, no matter where we are in terms of, of how, you know, how experienced we are in sharing or how afraid we are of sharing or things like that, I believe that God is going to cause each one of us to grow in this area. We're going to see God do things that uh, this year that, that we've never seen him do before if we as a church together or as we as a church together bring this vision in prayer and continue to pray together that God will, will lead um, our families, uh, our friends, uh, to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So today we're going to be continuing our series on uh, a distinctive community, a distinctive Jesus community. We've been looking at uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we saw that, that as we look to a call to mission, that first of all, we're entrusted with the gospel of God. That last week we saw that, that the challenge of the ministry of the gospel actually requires hard work. It's not an easy thing. It's not a, a one-off, a one-time deal. And you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. No, the ministry of the gospel is about a determination to stand firm, to keep trying, 
to evaluate and to change if things are needed, if things aren't working well, because God has entrusted us with this ministry of the gospel. And we know that the gospel is the only way, the only way to salvation. And without it, we know right now that there are people who are living and dying and they're going to an eternity in hell. People that we know, people that we love, people that we don't know, so many people. And so the focus of our passage today in 1 Thessalonians is gonna be uh, chapter three and we'll be looking at what it means to remain steadfast in the Lord as we think about the gospel. So I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. 1 Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. Now let's stand together in reverence for the word of God. It says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you, Thessalonians, in your faith, so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for these things, meaning afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us a good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving we can return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now again, as we look at this passage, it's a mouthful. The way Paul speaks, he speaks, he writes these things in very long sentences. And so we want to really kind of unpack this and see what is Paul actually saying and, and what does it mean that when we think about mission, that mission requires us to stand fa fast in the face of difficulty, that this year as we prepare to work hard, to persevere, that we're gonna face struggle in terms of our call to mission. And so the first thing we wanna look at is what does it mean to be steadfast? I mean, if you look at the words that Paul uses in this passage, he says, to establish you in your faith, that no one will be moved by these afflictions, that you're standing fast in the Lord. And so there's this sense that it gives this idea that someone's trying to, to push you or knock you over or distract you or lead you away uh, to push you off course from where you're standing. And to be steadfast means to take your stand, to not be moved. You're digging in because the place where you, this is the place you know, you say, I need to be in this place. I need to be on this course and I won't let anything move me. And this is a picture of what is needed to be faithful in the ministry of the gospel. If you look at this next picture, this tree, actually I looked at this, this is not a Christian picture, this is actually a picture about you know, how to take care of your trees in your, in your yard. And uh, it, it talks about the importance of caring for the soil around your tree if you want your tree to last. And if you notice like the focus 
is not on the upper part, but rather it's on the soil. And there's, there's a sense, okay, you got on the left side, you got unhealthy soil. On the right side, you got healthy soil. And so on the unhealthy soil, they say the soil is compacted, it's dry, it lacks nutrients. But on the left, on the left side, the healthy soil, it's loose, it's wet, it's filled with nutrients. And then it shows like the, the, what happens to the tree itself. You see uh, the unhealthy soil, the tree is still there but it doesn't look so good. I mean, if you didn't see the healthy part, you'd say, that's not bad. But when you see the healthy part, you go, okay, well, that's what a tree should look like. That's how a tree should, uh, a good healthy tree is. Now, if you also notice what's very interesting is the root system in the unhealthy soil compared to the root system in the healthy soil. I mean, you can really see the difference. You, you got this sense that, that this tree, this healthy soil, creates a, a, an environment where there's these deep, strong roots that can grow into the ground and, and create a fruitful tree. In fact, when, the when, when this tree, when there's strong winds, when there's harsh weather, when there's disease and sickness, um, this tree actually has a, the, the tree on the left side has a better sense of survival because of the root system underneath. Um, if you look at this, um, even if you tried to tear the tree out of the, out of the ground, you would see that the left side would be much harder because the roots go much deeper down into the ground. Now, of course, this is a good reminder, a good picture of faith. I mean, even, even Jesus uses this type of picture when he talks about the parable of the soils. He says the soil of our hearts uh, describes, our hearts describe how our, our hearts receive God's word. And if the soil of our hearts is ready to receive God's word, then, then the roots uh, of the spiritual life can really grow down deep and strong. And you can see that, that a tree built like this uh, is going to withstand um, all the, the difficulties that the world face, the world takes, uh, uh, puts in our way. The world is always trying to knock us over, right? We learned about that with the Thessalonians. The world is trying to push you, knock you over, even uproot the faith, you know, tie ropes and pull, pull you out of the ground. You can see how a tree with really deep roots, there's no way they can pull you out of the ground. There's no way a storm's gonna push this tree out of, out of the ground. And see, this is what it means to be steadfast when we think about the gospel. You know, a lot of times we say, well, the gospel, you know, if I just rely on my human strength, my determination, and I'm just not gonna be moved, um, I can make it. But that's not really the case. What, in spirit, spiritual terms, it's really the soil. It's really how we are cultivating our spiritual life, our personal spiritual life, nurturing that spiritual life, allowing God's word to fill our lives, allowing ourselves to, or, or devoting ourselves to, to prayer and in building our lives in, in holiness. And in that way, we are creating this soil in such a way that, that, that our roots under the ground, underneath the invisible parts of our life are growing deeper and stronger so that the upper part of our life, which is in the world, when it faces those struggles, when we face those difficulties, particularly when they come with the gospel, um, we will stand firm. We'll be strong. 
Uh, we won't be pushed over by all the things that are facing this world. And so that's really, the, that's really what it means to, uh, to stand firm in the gospel. Now, the second thing, the second aspect about steadfastness is the idea of why. Why do I need to be steadfast? Um, the first reason is because the gospel creates separation. Now, if you look at verse 2, it says, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one will be moved by these afflictions. Now, remember last week, as I mentioned, uh, Paul brought the gospel to Thessalonians' second missionary journey. And not long after that, um, the people... Uh, in Thessalonica actually drove him out and then he went to Berea and they drove him out of Berea as well. And so the, the, the people living, the Christians who are living in, in Thessalonica are, a, are in a sense, they're on their own. And they're, they're living in a very, very hostile environment. And one must understand as we think about pagan culture, um, in pagan culture, people are taught or they grow up with this idea that when you have struggles, when you have difficulty, it's because you didn't please the gods. So like if you plant all your crops and let's say the rain didn't come and your crops died that year, that wasn't because it just happened to be that way. It was because you didn't give enough uh, uh, gifts to the god of rain and things like that. So basically their idea was if you don't please the god, the reason why you're going through hardship is because you are not pleasing the gods that you're supposed to please. And so these Christians, as they endure all this suffering and struggle, there's a temptation for them because they came out of a pagan background to say, maybe the reason why we're suffering so much is because we are not pleasing the pagan gods. We've turned away from them. In fact, that's what the, the whole uh, uh, city of, of Thessalonica would be telling them. In fact, if there were struggles in Thessalonica itself, if Rome came down and was causing trouble in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians would look at the Christians and say, this is why we're having so much trouble is because you guys don't worship the pagan gods. And, and so we're going to blame you. And they get all this, this pressure on them to say, we need to go back to focusing or to, to worshiping or, or pleasing these pagan gods. And they say, well, we, maybe we won't forsake Jesus completely, but they'll worship Jesus and they'll try to worship other gods as well. And then that way they, they've got themselves covered in this time of difficulty. And this was the area where the Thessalonians needed to stand firm. This is the area where, where, where in regards to compromise, it, it was this idea of, am I going to compromise my faith by following Jesus and following the world around me? Am I gonna go back to the things of this world because those things worked for me in the past? And, and so the gospel, we recognize that the gospel creates separation. The gospel says you can't go back now. You're different. In fact, there's, no, there's nothing that distinguishes you from the world quicker than being active in sharing your faith. I really believe that. Uh, you cannot compromise and share your faith at the same time. There's going to be separation, and that's something that we have to prepare for when we begin to share the gospel, when we begin to say this, we are committed 
into this mission. Because once you start talking about Jesus, once you start encouraging people to consider Jesus, to accept him as savior, you basically have crossed you know, the Rubicon. You've crossed the point of no return. Because the world's like, it's all nice, you know, everyone has their own belief. Christians even say, well, Christians, you can have your own belief, that's great. Even predominantly Muslim and Hindu countries, people can hold their own faith. But if they share their faith, if they try to proselytize, then they can be put in jail. So why is that? It's because leaders know that once you start sharing your faith, that's when everything changes. That's when Christians really rock the world for Jesus Christ. Muslim leaders, communist leaders know that these are the ones we gotta watch out for, the ones who actually share their faith, right? Because if you don't share your faith, if you don't impose it on others, on me, well, then that's fine. We're okay. You can live in this country, you can do whatever you want. But once you start saying, Jesus is the only way, once you start saying, well, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ or you're going to go to hell, then you've got everything against you. Suddenly people say, okay, that's not okay anymore. That's, that's the way it is in the U.S. too, right? It's not just Muslim countries, Hindu countries, here in the U.S. too, right? You mind your own business, nobody cares. You share your faith, oh man, lawsuits are coming, right? They're going to they're gonna try to uh, accuse you of, of doing things that are you know, illegal, things like that. Uh, that's when you start experiencing resistance and discomfort, when we begin to, to share our faith. If we live out our faith without evangelism, I mean, we could live comfortably almost anywhere. In fact, we could live out our faith in the safe environment of the church all we want. We can respect those boundaries that are set at work, at school, in our neighborhood. We can talk nice, we can stay neutral. We can talk about our faith like, oh, it's just my faith, that's just what I believe. And everything is fine. But if we do that, we will never be faithful to the one thing that God has entrusted to us. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is uncompromising. We cannot live a compromised life and share the gospel at the same time. And that's why we need to stand fast, because mission separates us from the world. If you love the world, you will never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Uh, that's the first reason why we need to be steadfast, because the gospel brings a separation. The second reason why we need to stand firm is because there will be an increase in temptation when we share the gospel. You look at verse 5. It says, for this reason, I could bear it no longer, he says. This is Paul. So I sent to learn about your faith because I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, what this is saying is that when we determine to be faithful ministers of the gospel, we will need to deal with temptation in a more intensified way. Why is that? Well, here in verse 5, we see that Paul speaks about the tempter. He says that somehow the tempter has tempted you. He's afraid of that. That means that we know that we're going to engage in the enemy of this, the enemy in this world. He's going to start fighting harder when we begin to share the gospel. Now, it's interesting because Paul, um, Satan is, 
known by a lot of different names, right? I mean, he's known by, he's a deceiver, he's the adversary, he's the God of this world, but yet Paul chooses this particular name of Satan. He calls him the tempter. Why? Because Paul is not as concerned in terms of Satan. He's not worried about Satan lying to them. He's not worried about Satan resisting them. He's not worried about Satan fighting them. He's worried about Satan tempting them, tempting the Thessalonians. So what does it mean to be tempted? And, and how does this relate to the ministry of the gospel? You know, a lot of people think of temptation as you know, sexual temptation or tempting us with pleasure. And this definitely is a, a, a major manifestation, manifestation of temptation. But from a theological standpoint, temptation actually is a much broader concept. I mean, really think about it. Um, temptation, the word temptation actually in the Greek means both tested and attempted. It can be used in both ways. One is morally neutral. Tested means simply you're experiencing testings to see if something is genuine. That's the neutral way. And we're all tested in our faith. That's part of temptation. Another way in which uh, temptation, the word temptation is used, and I think it's relevant in this passage, it is Satan's attempt to frustrate God's plan. That's another way in which there's temptation. And if you really think about this, this kind of makes sense. You think about Satan when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. What was he trying to do? What was he trying to do? He was trying to frustrate God's plan. That God created this perfect fellowship with mankind. That God says, I've got everything set for you. You have everything that you need. And, and you're in perfect fellowship with me. Perfect fellowship with the environment. And I want you to live this way for eternity and enjoy this, uh, this plan. And Satan came in and tried to frustrate this plan by saying, you know, God is not giving you all the good things. Uh, he's withholding good things from you. And if you take it by yourself, you will find a better way of getting all the things that you want. And man, or Adam, of course, took the bait. He fell, he ate the fruit and the knowledge of good and evil and Satan in a sense, kind of frustrated God's plan, or he, he, he changed, uh, he, he tempted Adam to move away from the things that God wanted him to do. When Satan tempted Jesus, he told Jesus, and when Jesus in the wilderness, right, what, how did he tempt him? He says, hey, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down and worship me. See, now God's plan involved um, Jesus going to the cross and dying and giving his life and, and going through all this suffering so that he would become the king and he would be worshipped by the nations. But Satan says, well, I'm going to try to frustrate God's plans by saying, hey, Jesus, I can give you a plan where you can become king of all the nations. They'll all worship you and you don't have to die on the cross. You just worship me. A lot easier. But Satan, Satan wasn't dealing with weak man. He was dealing with Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus said, no way. I'm not going to move from the plan that God has. And I'm not going to be tempted to depart from this path. I'm not going to fall into your desire to frustrate God's plan. And that's the issue of temptation. That's, that's Satan's tactic, tactic. He's always tempting us to try to avoid the separation and the hardship that is inherent 
in the ministry of the gospel. I mean, we always are trying to find an easier way to do things, to stay off, you know, stay on, says we see these signs, stay on the designated path, right? And we're always trying to find different ways. We're always trying to find ways to uh, lose weight and stay fit uh, without exercise. There's got to be a way to do it. You know, we're always trying to find a way to, to get all the money and security that we need without having to work for it. Like, oh, you know, if I just win the lottery. And we're always trying to find a way of how I can be a good Christian, a faithful Christian, without having to suffer, right? Without having to sacrifice, without having to be separate from this world. I could be loved by this world and accepted by this world. I can get all the things of this world and be a good follower of Jesus and follow God's will and share the gospel effectively. And Satan knows that's what we want. And so Satan tries to tempt us, to frustrate God's plan, to say, you know, if things aren't, are really hard for you, it's not God's plan. Find another way. If you're experiencing suffering and obstacles, just give up. That's Satan is trying to always, always offer alternative ways to lead us off God's path. And, and God is saying to us, and, and Paul is saying to us, that, that this is why we must stand firm. Because when we share the gospel, Satan is going to try even more to, 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 to bring his temptation in, to tell us to get off of this path. And so we've seen that as we commit ourselves to the gospel, we've seen what it means to be steadfast, to be unmoved. We've seen why we need to be steadfast because uh, there's a, it, there is a separation that occurs when we share the gospel. There's increased temptation. The final thing we want to look at is, is what difference does it make? Why should, uh, what will God do when I commit myself to really stand firm and to stay on this path no matter how hard it is. You know, right now I'm, I'm in the final phase of my doctoral studies and this is like the worst phase. The, the, my professor just told us, he said, this is where the majority of the students fall out of the program. And I'm like, oh great, tell us right at the end, just before we're about to finish. And, and, and when he shared it with us, we we're like, I was like, it was Monday night and I was like, I told the professor, the professor says, how do you think about it right now? And I said, well, you know, at first I was just looking forward to finishing class and then watching the Raiders beat Denver, but now I feel like going in my closet and just crying. <laughs> but I said, it just seems so hard, you know. But the professor said, well, you know, what's really important here is not just, um, not just what you accomplish to benefit the ministry of the gospel. He says, what your project also is about is what do you expect God to accomplish in you? for his kingdom. He says, this is going to be probably the worst part of your life for the next year in terms of the amount of work that you have to do for your studies. But believe that God not only wants you to finish a project that's gonna help you know, uh, uh, churches in terms of the things that, that, that you're gonna be studying, uh, but it's also God is going to accomplish something in you for the kingdom of God. That's what a lot of this hard work is for as well. And so as we think about sharing the gospel and we think about this idea this year as we're thinking about I'm going to really commit myself seriously to this mission. I'm not just going to try and then just say, oh, this is too hard. Okay, I did my part. Or, oh, you know, I'm not a, a very good at sharing and I'm very shy, so I'm not going to get involved. I'll do my part this way. No, we're going to go out and we're going to really put ourselves out there to say we're going to 
share the gospel. We're going to be serious about mission. Uh, I do believe that in the end, we are going to see God do a great work in the people around us. I believe that he will open doors that we didn't even know. Some of the doors, not even just that were shut, we didn't, even know, we didn't even know that those doors existed and God's gonna open those doors. God's gonna soften hearts that we never thought would ever be softened. God's gonna give us words to speak that we don't know where they came from. God's gonna give us a boldness and a power that we know where it comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit, it doesn't come from us. We also know that along with saving others, God is going to sanctify and refine us as followers of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, he says, Paul says, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are, as if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? And Paul's saying that, man, I see your steadfastness and faith. And he says, I'm comforted. He says, uh, I'm excited, I'm I'm." full of thanksgiving, I'm overflowing with joy, not just because of what you are doing right now, but because I know of what you will become because of this faith that God has placed in you. Verse 11, he says, now may the God of our Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In verse 12, he says, I'm praying, I'm confident that you're steadfast in your faith, that you're going to, in the future, you're going to increase and abound in love for one another and really for everyone. Your love, your capacity for love for the people around you, for those who are dying around you, is going to grow and increase beyond measure. That what, what is God is doing right now, what he's going to make of you in the future, he's going to make you a people who are blameless and holy, not just now, but at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the, when the world is over, when time is done, when our journey and our mission is done, that we will be filled with, with joy, will be a blameless and holy people when Jesus finally comes in all his glory at the end of time. And that's what we look forward to as we think about even just this one year, as we, we focus and give our lives to, to mission. I wanna go back to this picture of this tree again. And say, if this is the spiritual life, this is what the left side is, this is what it can look like. Now we know that trees, they start out like this. They start out like a little seedling uh, in the ground and, and it's unnoticeable, easily broken if we, you know, someone accidentally steps on it and things like that, you know? It's just like, you can just pull it right out. You push, you know, just walk under the little, pull it out. But if we continue to walk faithfully with our God, if we really take seriously his commands and we say, I'm serious about mission, God, that even if I find that I can't, 
you know, I'm having struggle with mission, then I'm going to do what it takes to be faithful because God has entrusted me with this. If it doesn't work, I'm still going to try. I'm going to figure out what is it, how, what's it going to take for me to be an effective minister of the gospel, for me to share the gospel well with those around me. Even if it's not this year, if it's next year, next year, I'm really determined to say with, with whatever God has given me in my lifetime, I'm going to work with God, learn from God, humble myself, grow this soil, grow this soil, grow those roots so that, so that I will be a, a faithful with, with the one thing that God has entrusted me with on this earth. And so as we think about this, as we close, I would like us to really pray and, and, and think about the soil and say, if the soil is so important, what is God saying to me right now in terms of strengthening my spiritual roots? What is God calling me to do this year? Because this year we're going to face, I said, opportunities that we never faced before. We're also going to face struggles we never faced before. And it's going to require those deep roots now. And so we ask the question, how is God asking me to build these spiritual roots? The second thing that I want us to really think about is we think about the temptation in our lives, uh, not just our weakness of the flesh, but what are the areas where we are vulnerable, where Satan can move us off of God's plan for our lives and the things he wants and say, God, I'm going to commit this to you. I know this is an area that I'm weak in, or I know this is an area where there's this false God, or there's this worldly thing that I'm hanging on to, and I think that's an area where I'm going to go off, of the, go off the rails a little bit, and we say, God, I'm going to commit that to you right now, to say, God, this is an area where I, I'm going to fortify and bring to you so that, that I may stand firm you know, when those storms come, when the struggles come. So let's go ahead and let's, let's spend some time in prayer right now and just come before the Lord. God, what are you asking me to do to strengthen my spiritual roots? What are you asking me to do in terms of the 